According to the Bible, there is the kind of judgment that God wants us to do. He commends it. And there's a kind of judgment that He doesn't want us to do. He condemns it. There's good judging and there's bad judging. And we want to talk about that today because our text is from Matthew chapter 7 and verses 1 through 6. It's the Bible verse, every unbeliever knows. Judge not, lest you be judged. But we're not really here primarily to talk to them. We're here to talk to you. And so let's, um, when we leave today, let's get them, gather them back up and put them back on our hearts. But right now, let's talk about us. Those of us who say we're followers of Jesus Christ should judge the way He wants us to judge, and we should not judge the way He doesn't want us to judge. Let's take a look in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read. Here we're in the center of the Sermon on the Mount, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 7 of Matthew, verses 1 through 6. Let me ask you, if you will, to spend a moment on your feet, standing in special honor to God's Word as we read God's Word today. If you can. Matthew 7 and verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, or cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces. Heavenly Father, we ask for special grace and help as we discuss and as we preach uh, this section of your word today. Ask your help. For the people that have gathered here today, manifest yourself to our hearts, Lord. I pray that you would expose when we have sinned against you in this way. Expose that in our hearts and give us a holy resolve to change and the ability from your spirit to change. Amen. Be seated, please. Christian, college, student, female, she's walking through the mall. She's with her friend. The two of them are students at a Christian college. They're walking through the mall. They look over and they see two girls kissing on the lips. And one says to the other one, that is disgusting. And the other student at the college says, judge not, lest ye be judged. Something to think about, huh? Well, was she judging when she was disgusted by a display of sexual perversion? Was she judging? Well, we, we don't know her heart. We just know kind of the bald surface facts. But it's a good question, huh? Uh, reading a book on counseling, I heard of a, a fellow on the mission field. He was uh, tormented with all kinds of bizarre behavior. And everybody gathered around him. All his Christian friends gathered around him to help him. They wanted to deliver him of whatever it was that was oppressing him, and they decided that it was obvious that he was oppressed by demons. And so they began to ask him all kinds of questions, how he exposed himself to demonic oppression, and how could they get this demonic oppression lifted from him. But it didn't help him. And finally, going to a medical doctor, they discovered that he had a parasite that was eating away at his brain. And when they were able to correct that, his behavior was corrected. These are a couple of examples, I think, 
you say, well, pastor, those examples really make me uncomfortable. I think that's the idea. Now, Jesus was nice, but he wasn't nice like we sometimes have painted him, right, Tom? The Jesus that we kind of make up sometimes is, is nicer than he really is. Of course, absolute love, absolute perfection in Jesus. Jesus' message, his preaching was symmetrically beautiful. It was poetically wonderful. It was brilliant. It was deep and profound and yet simple. And yet, the preaching that, the preaching that Jesus gave here, it was direct preaching. It was hard preaching. We've got to see this. And this passage here, it makes it very clear. Jesus is really going after something that's happening among the people that he's talking to. It's not about something that may happen someday. He is actually eyeball to eyeball and nose to nose with a sect of people who were religious hypocrites who made it a regular practice of trying to operate on people who had sawdust in their eye when they themselves had a big two-by-four in their eye. And Jesus was going straight after them, and he was exposing that. So this is not a talk about drunkenness. And this is not a talk about homosexuality. And this is not a talk about abortion. It's talk about people who are religious, but they have a judgmental spirit. They're eager to condemn other people. And so you may go away from the talk today, from the message, feeling a bit uncomfortable. We may have created some imbalance. And if that happens, and you walk out the door today, and you feel some imbalance or your your disequilibrium or you're a bit uncomfortable then i think what is what happened to you is exactly what happened to the people who listened to jesus when he said this to them there should be this truth let me just put it this way i have suffered and belabored belabored my spirit all week as i've studied this so i think you ought to have to suffer with me too that's what i'm saying have do i have in me this kind of judgment that Jesus judges or condemns. Am, do I have a judgmental streak in me? Is the judgment that I judge a righteous judgment? Now there's this tension here. You know, we can't just say all judgment is wrong. We can't say that. You don't have to read very far until you get to verse 15 and it says, Beware of false prophets. Who's speaking? Jesus. Beware of false prophets. Well, to beware of false prophets, then I have to decide if a person is a false prophet. So I have to use powers of discernment and I have to say this is right and this is wrong. In case you're wondering about my first illustration, sexual perversion of any kind is clearly condemned in the Scripture. It's clearly wrong. And it's not wrong to say it's wrong. It's not necessarily judgmental to say something that's wrong is wrong. Jesus says when something's wrong that we should be willing to say that it's wrong. This is proper discernment. This is proper judgment. That's what verse 15 is saying. And many other places in the Bible. We have passages in the Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and in Matthew chapter 18 that say when the church comes together that they should observe things. There's a role in the church that they should observe certain things and make godly judgments about them. We call this church discipline. The Bible commands us to exercise church discipline. It's not optional for us. It's not something that we can take or leave. We can't say... In other words, if you don't have discipline, you don't have church. If somebody can just live any way they want to live, regardless of what they have committed themselves to in the Scriptures and in the body of Christ, and they can talk any way they want to talk, live any way they want to live, and nobody calls them to account for it, it is not a church. It's not what the Bible teaches. So there has to be a right, there has to be an appropriate kind of judgment. Now, so the issue now is, so since we're going to obey the Lord in this, what should that judgment look like? 
Now this is exposing a stubborn and subtle sin that's very common among followers of Jesus. And I think what I'm trying to say here is that I hope that what you can do is not think about other people, but honestly, humbly think about yourself today. And ask yourself, is this true about me? Is this sinful kind of judgment present in my soul and in my heart? Have I hurt other people or damaged other people or hurt the reputation of Christ's church because I've sinned in this way? I think it was, it's worthwhile for us to stop. This is the teaching. This is not the teaching of Ken Pierpont, right? Who would care about that? This is the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who said, don't judge lest you be judged. And the, and the manner of judgment, the measure of judgment that you judge will be measured back to you. And you take care of yourself first before you try to help somebody else. That's, who said that? Jesus said that. We sit at his feet. We honor Jesus. We listen to what Jesus says, and we do what Jesus told us to do. And so that's what we want to do here today. So we're asking the question, what does it mean, don't judge, lest you be judged? We, we know that this is not a command to forbid all judgments, or you wouldn't have judges. You wouldn't have courts of, of judgment in the church or, or in the world like we're commanded to do. So we want to ask ourselves the question, what is Jesus not saying, and what is Jesus saying? What is true judgment and what does a godly person really look like is a godly person like the narrowest person that you know is the godly person the most censorious person you know is the godly person the one with the most convictions or the most rules he's against the most things is that what makes a person godly or is there another measure of godliness that we should recognize and I would suggest to you that reading what Jesus is saying here, there's a different way to measure godliness than just the most censorious person is the godliest person. Because that censorious spirit, that eagerness to come to judgment, that eagerness to punish others, that unwillingness to look at oneself, and that eagerness to look at others is not evidence of godliness. It's evidence of a special kind of subtle ungodliness. And that person, they may never be involved in the sins of the flesh outwardly, and so they may kind of sidestep all kinds of different judgments that would come upon them. But they may be very ungodly in their... Their religion would be ungodly religion. That could be not just them. That could be you. That could be me. At any given time, this could be us. Now, when I preach a message and I when I'm thinking through I'm, I'm thinking about it all the time all week long and so I'm talking to people and often in my family and I ask my family if they ever had an example of somebody that was kind of censorious or kind of judgmental and, they, and one of them said yes and there was a time when the the, the um the, the, this family went through the McDonald's drive-thru and they got the happy meal and in the happy meal were these little characters and one of the characters was a witch and so they were there in the car. The pastor's kid was in the car with this other family from the church. And the other family said, I'm not sure your dad would want you to have the witch. The little child said, it's okay, because they wanted to have the witch. The little child said, that's okay. And then when they took the witch over to dad, dad said, you march yourself back over there and you give them their witch back, because we don't want any have any witches. And I said, wow, that's a good example. Who is that? And then they said, you did that. And then I said, no, I wouldn't have done something like that. I would have just very quietly said, well, we're going to get rid of the witch. We'll burn her when we get home. You know, we wouldn't have given the witch back to the lady all kind of pseudo-pious and said, we're holy. We don't have any witches. You take the witch back because we know you want witches. So you probably worship witches. Like, did I really do that? And my child says, yeah, Dad, you did that. And I'm like, oh, great. So I get to be exhibit A of this sin 
And I want you to ask yourself, have I ever done that? Maybe you say no. Ask your wife. (laughs) Ask your kids. Have I ever done this? Do I do this? Do I come off this way? This is something Jesus wants us to root out of our souls. And so there is this judgment that scriptures condemn, and there is this judgment that scriptures command or commend in the Bible. And so how do we know? I want to give you some help on this from the scriptures. When is it right to judge? Well, first you've got to make sure the manner of your judgment is right. Look at verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. With what judgment? With what judgment you judge, you will be judged. The way you judge, the motive of the, the, the way that you judge, the manner of your judgment has to be right in order for your judgment to be the kind of judgment that God wants you to use. The, the measure of the judgment, that's what verse 2 says, with what, what judgment you judge, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so you kind of think about that. You know, how do you want people to judge you? Well, you judge them like that. You want them to get all the facts. You want them to understand everything. You want them to be sympathetic and merciful. Okay, well, then that's the way you should judge other people. I got a beautiful letter yesterday from uh, Jenny Athman Dimkoff. Her dad was Clyde Athman, who was uh, a retired pastor that was present in the church at Fremont when I went there to pastor. And I asked him to come on board part-time and help me out by being visitation pastor. And he and I worked together. And he was a seasoned old veteran, if I can say it that way. He knew and loved the Lord, and people loved him, and he worked hard. And we had a wonderful relationship. It's a really great fellowship together. His wife or his daughter had stumbled across something I'd written about him, and she wrote me a really nice uh, letter yesterday, and she thanked me for the way I treated her dad. Well, it wasn't hard for me to treat her dad good, because I'm getting older. And all I thought about was, how do I want people to treat me when I'm an elderly guy that's been in ministry for a long time, and now I'm in the, in the church, and how would I want somebody to treat me? Because that's going to happen to me someday, unless I die first and go to heaven then maybe someday I'll be an old, older than I am now. Old, old guy in the church, you know, an older pastor. And, and I would want the young guys coming on to treat me the way I treated Pastor Affman. It was that simple. This is the way it is with the judgment. How do you want to be judged? This is what it's saying. You're going to be judged. There's a sense in which God says, we'll judge you in the same measure that you judge other people. Do you want to be judged under the mercy? Or do you want to be judged under the law? Now, there's going to be judgment. It's who's going to get the judgment and how's it going to fall. So the measure of the judgment must be right. And you want to judge only to the degree which you have personally lived. Ye that are spiritual. Remember Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. If you see somebody that's overtaken in a fall, you that are spiritual, go and restore him. It doesn't say you that are pious, go and restore him. You holier than now people, go restore him. It says you that are genuinely spiritual, you've been around the horn you have knelt at the cross. You've gotten your face in the dust because of your own sin. You know the pit from which you were dug. You know that you are flawed and sinful and fallen and depraved. You are now qualified to go and very gently and very lovingly and very humbly and very tenderly try to privately restore that person. This is the measure of the judgment. There are different types of judgment. Now, I want to show you this from the Scriptures. And so the difference between judging and the way God wants to judge and being judgmental, one way to say that you could say it's like discernment and judgment, even though it's appropriate to use the word judgment, the right kind of judgment. It's like religion. can be good, can be bad. depends on what you mean. Judgment, judgmental, judgment, discerning. 
Discernment, or the right kind of judgment, is like this. It begins with self-examination. It checks facts and related factors. It gets all the information. And it deals privately with the offender. Get it? So if you're discerning what you're supposed to be, or you have the right kind of judgment, then you first examine yourself. That's what Jesus says here in this passage. And then you check the facts and related factors. If it's your business, if it, we'll get to it later, but if it isn't your business, you don't have any business digging into the facts and related factors. Just pull a blanket of mercy over that and assume the best. But if it's your business, and you, and you must, it's your child or, or, or somebody that you deeply care about or somebody whose authority you're over them, then you need to check out the facts and, and the related factors and never just assume the first thing you hear is the whole story. It's not. And you deal privately with the offender. That's a discerning person. This is what it looks like. Now, a judgment, judgmental person is different. He ignores that he might have the same root problem. Instead of dealing with his stuff, he's just all he can see is your stuff. It's like you're drunk and he's unloving and he understands drunk is bad, but he doesn't get that unloving is really unchristlike. This happens all the time. It's like, oh, that woman is a lesbian. How disgusting, how horrible, how far has she gone from God? Glad I'm not like that. I don't have any problems like that. It's been like years since you confess anything. It's as if you're sinlessly perfect. And you have any, anything in your life, in your flesh, that's disgusting to God? There's nothing in your life and in your flesh that, that because of the different kinds of hurts and the different kinds of things that have come into your life have confused you and you're landing and you're kind of you're off your feet in some other way, but it's like a church thing that's okay so that you can actually maybe even hold office in a church. These people all held office in the church. They were religious leaders, but they were ignoring their problems. Jesus said it like this. You're trying to operate on them to get the sawdust out of their eye. You've got a plank in your eye. The discerning person checks facts and related factors, but a judgmental person forms opinions and then looks for confirming evidence. They make that swift judgment and they go, ah, and then they, they judge the person in the light of the decision that they already made. Have you seen this happen? You do it yourself? Oh, I know, that person's bad, so everything they do is bad. You know, this is true. Have you had this happen to you? I mean, this is probably the best way for me to describe this. You've had this happen to you, right? Here you are, you're just, you're, you're innocent lovely self and you're just going along and somebody misunderstands you and all of a sudden now it's not a friend anymore they're like an enemy and everything you do is wrong and everything you say is wrong and your motives are all wrong and you know it isn't true i mean you know you're a worm and you know you're depraved but you know that they're wrong about that you see what i'm saying you ever had that happen to you it's happened to me a lot of times i want to tell sometimes a critic you know hey i can tell you things about me that are worse than what you're saying but what you're saying isn't true i know it because like you're off now, they might be onto something. You know, they might be like, oh, there's something wrong with that guy. I don't know what it is, but I'll figure it out. You know what I'm saying? And you know what? They're right. They're right. It's true about me. I got news for you. <laughs> it's true about you, too. I know I'm your pastor. I pray for you all the time. I notice things. Yeah. And God gives pastors, by the way, special discernment, insight into that. Just saying. Now, the, uh, the discernment deals privately, but judgmental people are ex- eager to expose the offender publicly, or maybe they just do it kind of quietly behind the scenes, but basically they're getting the word out, you know. They're getting it out. They're, getting, they're, they're quiet. They look pious about it. Maybe they're not just like overt, but they're like leaking the information. So that would be kind of a, see what I'm saying? Would you like this to happen to you? Would you like to fall to the hands of judgmental people? No. Would you like to follow the hands of discerning people? Yes. Okay, this is what we're talking. Jesus is saying that. Yes, be discerning. Have righteous judgment. But don't be eager to send people to hell. You know, oh, I stamped their ticket. Send them. Let them burn. Let them go. You know? 
So what's the, when is it right to judge? When your manner is right. When the measure of the judgment is right. And when your motive is right. Look at verses 3 and 4. Why do you look at a speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look a plank as in your own eye? Let me tell you why you ought to take your kids to Sunday school every single week. 40, it had to be like 40 years ago. I remember the first time that this passage ever kind of burrowed its way into my heart was at Fulkerson Park Baptist Church when I was visiting my grandmother and the Sunday school teacher took us down to this Sunday school room in the basement and there was this chalkboard and he drew a picture of a guy with a little speck in his eye and he drew a picture of a guy with a big plank in his eye. And as a little kid, I just sat there and I thought, that's bizarre. How crazy that a person would try to help somebody get a speck out of their eye if they got a tip before in their eye. And I was just like, look at the other kids like, that's crazy. It's funny. This is literally a part where if it didn't hurt so badly, there was probably a ripple of laughter when Jesus said it. It's funny. It's, just, it's humor. And so Jesus was never, you can never really catch Jesus being frivolous or full of like kind of um, uh, levity. But Jesus definitely used kind of pointed humor. And this is an example of pointed humor that Jesus used. That's kind of funny. You're going to do surgery with a log in your eye? Are you serious? So as a little boy sitting in Sunday school class, I got this idea kind of burned into my mind. And if you have little ones downstairs in the power zone, or if you got here an hour early today, you got up just a little bit earlier, and you put your kids under the sound of teaching of a Sunday school teacher, then I commend you because your kids are going to need all the help they can get. They, I know that it's important that you teach them at home, but they also, your brothers and sisters, they need to hear it from somebody else. They need to hear the same thing you're saying from somebody else. They need to see them draw pictures of Jesus' truth. And 40 years from now, it will be a part of what they believe. Very powerful. I remember this. When I started to study this, my mind went back across the years to that church basement, the first place where I ever learned this truth. So the measure, the manner has to be right for the judgment to be right. And the measure has to be right for the judgment to be right. And the motive has to be right. The reason that you're doing it, that needs to be right. Let me show you some things that you should ask yourself before you judge. And these are just eight questions you should ask yourself. You want to ask yourself this question. Is this my sphere of authority? Like, do I have any business messing around with this? Is this my place? A lot of times we will say the truth to somebody, but we haven't earned the right to say the truth to that person. We haven't loved them. We haven't really, we have no place really there. It's better to, I pray and then I build into their life and I love them and then I win a place. You know how it is when you try to correct your own children? Sometimes you try to say very gently some little small thing to correct your own children. They'll burst into tears. It is not easy to correct somebody. You want to go armed in the spirit. You want to know there is a, there's a lot of love behind that. You can't let them doubt that. Ask yourself the question, is this in my sphere of authority? First Thessalonians 4.11, you also aspire to lead a quiet life and mind your own business. The Bible says mind your own business. Did you know it was in there? First Thessalonians 4.11, don't take a dog by the ears. Sometimes you just don't want to go there. <laughs> mind your own business. First Peter, and by the way, you do want to mind your business, but you want to mind your own business. First Peter 4.15 says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, or a busybody in other men's matters. There's a little warning in the Bible. Are you sure you want to mess with somebody else's stuff? Careful now. He's saying just be careful. Now, if it's your authority and you're responsible for it, you're going to answer to God for it, then you better take care of it. If it's your family, if it's under your authority, 
If they, if they answer to you, if God holds you responsible, then you better obey that. But if you're not holding you responsible, that's not an area where you should be careful. And then that is an area where you should be careful. Second question to ask is, am I judging motives? Now, you understand, you don't know their motives, and they don't know their motives. There's only one being in all the universe who really knows their motives, and that being is God. And so when you say, I know why they did what they did, well, you can guess why they did what they did, but you don't know why they did what they did. You don't even know your own motives. Think about that. You only suspect your own motives. You have a hunch, a bit of an idea about why you do what you do, but you really don't know all the reasons and all the subtle and complex reasons why you do what you do. All the different things in your life that have fed into that decision that you made to sin or to do something that's unwise, you don't even know them. How do you, what makes you think that you can just look at somebody else and immediately you know what their motives are? Jesus says that is a sin. You are not equipped to judge the motives of other people. It is always wrong to do that. That is, judging somebody else's motives, making a final pronouncement on what somebody else's motives are, is condemning, it's judgmental, it's the sin that Jesus is talking about here. Have you ever done that? It's very easy to do. Romans 14.4, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. You mess with somebody and you're wrong, God's going to come in and He's going to defend them and you might get in the way that might not be good for you. Ask yourself the question, is this my sphere of authority? Am I judging motives? Am I guilty of a, of a version of this sin myself? This is really common. It, we tend to notice things that are true about us and so we're on somebody, but, you know, it, but it maybe a version of that is true about me, but I don't do that very thing, but I do a version of that thing and they know I do a version of that thing and I'm on them about their version of that thing and they're not going to listen to me. So it is... Um, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Therefore you're inexcusable, O man, whoever you are that judges or condemns, or whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. Be sure that's not true. So before you render judgment or you're discerning, ask yourself these questions. Is this in my sphere of authority? Am I, am I getting a dog by the ears here? Am I judging motives? And am I guilty of a version of this myself? Another question is, do I have all the facts? Assuming it is your authority, Make sure you have all the facts. Let me give you a quick example. I wrote an article one Saturday about playing baseball on Sunday. Okay, now I'm against it just in case you're wondering now. Okay, so I, in our family, what I decided, this little article that I wrote, and I sent it out to all of you that have the email, what I sent out was that said um, like this, in our family, I told this little story about our family, and I told a story about our family, um, how our oldest boy was asked to, play on a special team after the season was over, and he said he, we couldn't do it because we decided as a family what we would do, the way we understand the Lord's Day is we just would set that aside for the Lord. And the different people have different ideas about this, about what the scriptures say, and we can arm wrestle about that, but the point is as a family, we just said six days for baseball, one day for especially set apart for the Lord, we're just not going to play baseball on Sunday. So that's what we decided that we would do. Well, I wrote this little article, and what happened the next year is one of my boys was picked to pitch, which was quite an honor, and the coach knew that, and he said, we're going to be playing on Sunday, but we'll put him in the pitching rotation so that he never has to pitch on Sunday so he didn't have to be there. So we kind of felt like that was God confirming that, so I wrote this story about that, right? I sent it to you. Maybe some of you remember getting that story. kind of makes the family look good, right? Next day, <laughs> next day, part of my family's missing after church, and I'm like, where are they? I'm like, Chuck. Where's Chuck, for instance? And Dan and Wes. Was it, was it you, Chuck, Dan and Wes? Did you love being a pastor's kid? You get to be like exhibit A. Chuck was definitely involved. Anyway, they're gone. I'm like, we try to get together 
on Sunday to have dinner as a family because we're wonderful and righteous and an example for everyone else. And I said to Lois, where are the kids? And I don't know. About 20 minutes later, Chuck's on the phone. And he goes, Dad, uh, got tickets to the Tigers game um, from a guy in the church. He invited me to go. And uh, so uh, I need want me to do, do that because I know you want me to spend time with that guy, you know. <laughs> and that was true. That was true. And, uh, and so, and, and he goes, and, and we're going we're gonna to take in the game, we're going to enjoy the game, and we're going to be back for the evening service. I thought that's what you'd want me to do. Now, I don't know what you're thinking about that, but here's what go on, went on in my mind. Number one was, oh, geez, I really look like an idiot now because I wrote the article and my kids are going to a baseball game. And if you saw my kids at a baseball game, you would say, Pierpont, you are such a hypocrite. You wrote an article, your kids go to the baseball game. That was like one of the things I thought. The second thing I thought was, Chuck was right. In my opinion, he did the right thing. He had an opportunity to spend time with a boy I wanted to spend time with and love him and spend time with him. He got free tickets, so he's a wise kid, you know. It's the Tigers, so, you know, if you can get back for the evening service and that's the way you want to roll, see you at six. That's what I'm saying, all right? So you might want to talk to the other pastors. They may disagree, but I'm just saying that, that they'd be like, oh, anyway. You see what I'm saying? Would it have been a good idea for you to pass judgment on Chuck? Like, what in the world? It went off and I was like making me look back because I wrote an article about how, how, how wonderful do you think our relationship would be then? It wouldn't be that good, see what I'm saying? Although he's a good kid, so he'd probably forgive me. What I'm saying is, doesn't it help a lot to have more facts? Doesn't it help a lot to know everything instead of just saying, what, you know we don't do baseball on Sunday, you know I'm a pastor, you know I'm a painter in the rear end, and I'm horrible to live with, and I, and I blame Jesus on me having a bad attitude all the time. You know that's the way we are. Sorry about the pain in the rear end part. I should have said that in the pulpit. Will you forgive me? It slipped. Do you have all the facts? And then... And, <laughs> I just say that to keep you awake. Am I sure this is sin? Now, sometimes we're just absolutely sure. Like that whole Lord's Day thing, it's like, are you positive you know that it's always a sin ever to watch a baseball game on Sunday? (laughs) You're so quiet about this one. I love it. Anyway, well, you know, think about it. Work it out. Sometimes we condemn people for things that we cannot prove are sinful, so we might want to be careful about that. Am I right? Otherwise, we fall in the trap of judgmentalism, and Jesus doesn't like that. And he's the one we follow. You know, not the Baptist hierarchy, amen? Jesus. Right? Right? Boy, it's quiet in the house today. Do I refuse to believe good about another? Do I refuse to believe good about another? It's like I'm kind of eager. I'm eager to believe wrong. This is another good question to ask. Have a rush to conclusion without the facts. John 7, 24 says, Don't judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. There will come a time to judge. It's not now. Jesus, do you realize the first time he came, he did not come to judge? But then he's coming back to judge. He will judge. You want to be ready. Time for judgment is time for judgment. It, might, it will be after the facts are in. That's what he's saying. And then if I condemn something that's not wrong, Ecclesiastes seven sixteen, don't be overly righteous or overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? That's interesting. That's like when... When Hope came upstairs and she said she'd been hanging out with this family and said they're just too Christian. I'm like, I know people that way. It's impossible to be too genuinely Christian, of course, but we know what Hope meant. She's like, yeah, no kidding. We love the people, but you, you, you kind of, after you're done, you feel like they're big, you're little. Like, oh my goodness, I need to go read my Bible. Those people are so Christian. And I'm just me. You mean anybody like that? Jesus is saying, don't be so Christian. Be a real Christian. 
That's what he's saying. This is such an interesting message. I knew it was going to be like this. I knew you guys would just look at me. It's hard, isn't it? It's, just, it's a lot more fun to preach about drunkenness. It's just so much more fun. They're all out there, those drunk people. And they're going to hell. And we're not sure we care. Right? Yeah. So, if I condemn something that isn't wrong, when we judge others for what's not wrong, Colossians 2 and verses 20-23 talk about that. Touch not, taste not, handle not. And, and the Scriptures say that this kind of false humility and pseudopiety, the neglect of the body and so forth, it is of no value against fleshly indulgence. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. It doesn't work to just have a bunch of rules on top of rules to beat people down. James 4 and verse 11, Don't speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother judges his brother and speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And do I refuse to believe good about another? Do you remember this little incident in the Bible when David says to this other king, you know, I'm going to go do good to that king because his dad was good to me. Remember this? This is in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10. You can be a little Sunday afternoon reading if you're not going to the Tigers game. Um, yeah, you're... you're <laughs> so you're... Wow, tough crowd, seriously. <laughs> 1 Samuel 10, if you read it, here's the story, is that David says, I'm going to do good to this king. His dad was good to me. So he goes to do good, and the king says, I know what you're up to. You're spying. So he does some unspeakable, ugly things to the people that he sends, which I'm not going to talk about in the pulpit, because I'm already in enough trouble as it is. So he does these unspeakable things, and all David was trying to do was be nice to the guy. He refused to believe that David could do anything good. There was evidence in David's life that he'd done some tricky things before and some sinful things before. But he judged, he didn't want to believe any good about him. And that's the way it is sometimes with people. We don't want to believe any good about them. And then ask the question, do I refuse to believe any good? And then ask the question, am I eager for them to suffer for their sin or get the full measure of the penalty of their sin? Remember this in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, when they're going through Samaria and they reject Jesus, and John the Baptist says, shall we call down fire on them now? (laughs) So, hey, they were bad to you, Jesus. Are we going to call down fire now? It wasn't an ignorant thing altogether. They were schooled in the Old Testament. There was some, this happened before. But Jesus is like, you don't get it. You don't know what spirit you have. That will be true with us sometimes. Another question to ask here is, should this be private and I'm making it public, either subtly or overtly making it public? Isn't this amazing how quick we are to say about, talk about somebody else instead of to somebody? It's just for all of us. There's something we always have to work on. There is this tendency, like a magnetic tendency, to go to somebody else first and get somebody on your side and not go to that person. Say, go to the Lord, keep it quiet, go to that person. Don't go to somebody else. Certainly don't make it public or don't make it subtly public because that's an evidence of judgmentalism. Leviticus 19.16, you shall, you shall not go about as a tale-bearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. The law of God says don't be a tale-bearer. That doesn't mean you can't tell stories. It means don't be eager to say things about other people that are bad. Think about if you had sinned in some grievous way, would you want that to just spread all over the place? Or would you want somebody to be discreet and careful and wise and more likely to restore you? Think about that. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is a faithful spirit conceals the matter. Sometimes it's good just to keep quiet. And Titus 2, 3, 2, and 5. Hear this if you don't hear anything else. Because this is the takeaway. It's the big idea. It's kind of like, do you remember the pit from which you were dug? Listen to this. This is so sweet. 
Speak evil of no one. I'm, I'm in Titus 2, uh, 3, 2 through 5. Titus 3, 2 through 5. Speak evil of no one, but be peaceable and gentle, showing all humility to all men. It's like, don't, don't be eager to speak evil, but be nice to people. Why is this? Why? He's going to say why now. Why? Because we ourselves, we were once foolish. We were once disobedient and deceived and serving various lusts and pleasures and living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. That's the way God's people, that's, that's how you can tell a godly person. They know the pit from which they were dug and they walk in continual humility before God and they realize the possibilities It could happen to them or their family. According to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So the method of the judgment. So here we go. The manner has to be right for the judgment to be right. The measure has to be right. The motive has to be right. And the method should be right. And then what I'm talking about here, again, in chapter uh, 7, verse 5, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. What's the takeaway from this that Jesus is saying is this. And the songs all led to this this morning. You and me, we should examine ourselves continuously to be right before God. Before we go to help correct or teach anybody else, we have to make sure that we are qualified by sincerely walking with God ourselves. That's what he's saying. First, he's not saying don't ever try to get the speck out of anybody's eye. He's saying just get the plank out of your own eye first. And then do, by all means, go and minister to the persons with specks in their eyes. But be really slow about that. Be really careful and wise. That's what he's saying. Humble, private, view to restoration. You never come as a group. You never come indirectly to somebody by six or eight other people coming to them first and you, they heard you were talking about them or, or you're, you're condemning or they're not sure you love them. It's got to be very wise. It's got to be very private. It's got to be very humble or it will not work. Trust me, I know this. People are very sensitive when they got a speck in their eye or when they have a fault. And only the Spirit of God is going to help them untangle that. Only God can do that. And they may look you in the eye and nod and they may profess repentance and all of that, but they're not going to really, really change unless your, your spirit is right, God is at work in what you're saying. Now it leaves us with an extra verse here. And what do you do with verse 6? That's interesting. Look at that. Is this going in the same paragraph? Is it the same idea? I do think there's a relation. I'm going to tell you what it is, I believe. Verse 6 says, don't give that which is holy, what is holy, to the dogs, or cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. So you are supposed to go to, to people with truth. And your truth is like pearls, it's valuable. But you want to qualify yourself first. Are you qualified to take truth to people? Because you've applied that truth to their life, your life, and you actually have the plank out of your eye. And now, are they qualified to hear it? Some of them are not ready to hear it. And you're going to take the pearls of God's truth and you're going to cast them before swine and they're going to trample on the pearls and they're going to come and hurt you. Now, this is not an excuse not to evangelize, in case you're wondering. It's not an excuse not to teach or tell the truth. It's just that Jesus is, I believe, saying here the balance of this truth that he's giving. He's saying, on the one hand, don't you hurry out there to teach everybody and get the speck out of everybody's eye until you take care of yourself. But by all means, you go. And there are times when the person isn't qualified to hear. There are times when you're not qualified to speak. And there are times when they're not qualified to hear. There comes a time in a person's life when they have consistently rejected the holy things of God. They don't get any more of the holy things of God. 
They've heard. They've rejected. And all they're going to do is turn on you and hurt you. All they're going to do. This takes enormous discernment. And we all know stories of people that seem like they were hardened against God, but God melted their hearts, and they turned to God. So you want to be very, very patient with people. But on the other hand, we want to be careful that we don't just squander great truth. So the way I do it, when I'm operating at my best, is I give a little bit of truth to somebody, and then I watch their eyes. Let me give you an example of this. We want to learn fly fishing, so I said to my boys, here's a master fly fisherman, get a notebook, go talk to him. When he says something, write it down. Ask him a follow-up question. He will fill your notebook. That's exactly what happened, right? You go to a master teacher, and you act like you're interested, and you write things down, and you apply it. The teacher's going to open his heart. If you're a teacher, you know what I'm talking about. You love that student, right? That bright student that wants to know everything. Jesus, the same way, said, if, if, if you go to somebody, you give them some truth and see what they do with it. Now, this is happening right now. There's a lot more truth in this book. Paul, at one time, said, I have a lot more to tell you, but you're not really ready to hear it. And friends, that is true. Some of us are sitting here today and we, are not, we haven't rounded first base. We've heard over and over again how to get from home to first. We haven't rounded first base. And because of that, we don't know how to get to second or third or, 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 or home. There's so much more to learn. There's so much more to the Christian life. But we're still kind of laboring away in the elemental things that we should have gotten behind us a long time ago. So you take hold, you get your notebook out, and you're hungry for God, and you write things down, and you try to apply things, and then God says, hey, look at that guy. He's taking notes. Give him some more. Look at this guy. He's trying to practice. Look at that woman. She's taking notes. Look, she's weeping. She's praying. She's examining her heart. I'm going to pour out my grace on her. I'm going to give her more of myself. I'm going to teach her more about me. That's the kind of student that you want to be. But those that are going to squander the things of God, don't give them your pearls because they're swine, and they're going to trample the pearls and they're going to attack you. And that's what Jesus is saying here in balance to what he said. A few years ago, it was summertime, and our family was invited to go to a place to sing. It was a mixed audience of people. It was a hot summer day. We're walking in this place to sing, and I see something that disgusts me. It's a car with one of those rainbow bumper stickers. It it kind of irritates me that God has this rainbow that's his sign of his promise to people and that people who who are devoted to sexual perversion have tried to take that symbol and they put it on their car saying that they're devoted to that sexual perversion. This was the case with the woman who owned the car. Short butch haircut, manly manner, and displaying her depravity on her car. It just kind of disgusted me. And I looked at that, and I kind of thought, that's just disgusting. So we sang, and we did our thing, and we left. We're almost to our car, and somebody said, hey, Ken, Lois, can you guys come back? Because there's a woman here. She didn't get to hear you sing. She wants to hear you sing. It was the woman with the rainbow on her car. She sat there in the front row and we sang. And when we sang, she burst into loud sobbing and tears, just sobbing and weeping. Thank us over and over again. The story isn't done. I don't have a happy, beautiful ending yet. But as I drove away, I thought to myself, there was more going on in that lady's heart than you can tell by just looking 
at the bumper sticker on her car. And godly people care enough about other people. Jesus people care enough about other people. They get in their life and they listen and they love and they care so they get all the facts before they rush to judgment. A couple came to me once. They were regular church attenders, the young couple, and they were going to get married. And they hadn't set a date. But they came into my study to talk to me, and it wasn't like a happy meeting. It was They were troubled, you could tell. And their hands began to tremble, and the tears began to go down their face, and they said, we're going to have a baby. And we don't know what to do. I said, well, you're sure you're going to get married? And they were. And they had a date set. And they said to me, should we not get married in the church? The hearts were broken about their sin. They knew they'd done wrong. They were repentant. I said, no, you, you should get married in the church. People should know you love the Lord. People should know you know you need the Lord. And on the day of the wedding, we very gently, very simply, I told the people, the couple here, they want you to know that they're sinners. They want you to know they've done things that are wrong. They also want you to know that they're devoted to following Jesus and that they've sought forgiveness for their wrongs. And they've invited you here today to be at their wedding to witness their vows because they're forming a Christian home. And that couple is a faithful couple, a faithful family in that church today. Because the people of the church were not eager to condemn. They weren't eager to pass judgment. They were eager to forgive. They were eager to show mercy. They were eager to have righteous judgment. And I want to be the kind of people that are eager that same way. Do you? God in heaven, help us, I pray, to examine our own hearts and to see if we're this kind of people, sincerely eager to judge a righteous judgment and have spirits of discernment and help people to understand when they've sinned against God and they're far from God. But at the same time, Lord, to remember the pit from which we were dug and to examine our own hearts and to build relationships with people so that when we do, so that we can rescue them when they're hurting and when they're in trouble. Help us in this, I pray. Amen. Before we go home today, something on our hearts. I want